Good morning, Rain Valley Church. You guys doing good this morning? It is good to be here with you again. We are in week eight now of our series called Revitalized, and it's been our hope that together we're finding new life together in Jesus, that we're discovering what it means to walk with him and, and find hope and vitality together. And we're praying that God would revitalize your soul your marriages, your workplace, wherever you find yourself throughout the week, that he'd find new purpose and hope in every moment of the day, and that God would wake us up as a church to the new possibilities that he has for us with a fresh wind of his spirit and seeing great things happen with us as a church. And there's been so many stories that have been coming out the past few weeks of people trying new things and taking new steps, and it's been so encouraging, and I hope that you're experiencing that. It all boils down to John 10.10. Jesus says this, I have come. That means the reason I am here, like I am in this world, I am here to declare. This is a statement about who I am, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, a full life with Jesus. And if you've been walking with Jesus your entire life and we're feeling kind of sluggish and slow, that's okay. But let's not miss out on God's and Jesus' invitation to have that full life. And if you're just here exploring church or maybe just back at things for the first time in a while, uh, welcome, we're glad you're here. Let's, let's take Jesus up in his words that he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. I hope you're excited about that. We want to experience that full life together in Jesus as a church. And listen, that, that happens when we're all in this together, when we come with an expectant mindset together, more than just a series of messages. This is really trying to help us set new expectations together, taking some small steps together towards the things that bring vitality and life to our church. That happens when we all do this together because when you get better, we all get better. When you grow, we all grow together. And when you say yes to Jesus, we all benefit. And so we can all be a part of that this morning. Uh, when we're looking at the early church and the way that they lived together, the way they grew together, the way they experienced Jesus together through the apostles' teachings, we've been looking at how they devoted to become more like Jesus together through all the things that they were learning and how they spent time together praising God and, and serving one another with, with their needs and, and everything that they had. And today I want us to dial in in another one of those phrases that we see in that passage. It's found in Acts chapter 2 again, starting with verse 46. It'll be up on the screen with you. This is every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at verse 37 with me again. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was this sort of rhythm between them worshiping God, which we're going to be talking about in another week, but worshiping God and putting God first and exalting him in their lives and Jesus adding to their number daily those who were being saved. That's an interesting phrase. It didn't just say that, the, that people were coming to be a part of the church. It didn't say that they were coming to be a part of a building. It didn't say that they were coming to join and be recruits as Jesus' followers. It said daily those who were being saved. So the early church understood something that was, that was unique about Jesus. Was that he wasn't just offering a better way of living, but that he was offering salvation. He was offering life itself. When we come to church, do we know that we're coming together to say this is life itself? This is salvation. Jesus, you are the only way. And it says daily those who are being saved, which means daily people were coming and saying, what is it you're doing? What is it you're a part of? Well, let me explain to you. There's this guy. His name was Jesus. He was a rabbi. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. What? Crazy. I know, right? But it's true. And they started talking about this. And why do you do something like that? Well, there's this thing like sin and like we, we need life with God. Yeah, I kind of want to have life with God. We want to live forever. Yeah, I don't want to die. Yeah, well, Jesus offers the, the, the very fix of all of that, and he proved it by his death and his resurrection, and we can have life with him if we, if we put our trust in what he did for us. And they're like, yes, I, I want in on that. So people were transferring from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves, it tells us in the Bible. He was stepping into that daily, those who were being saved. The, the very activity of the church was making other people that were apart from God, far from God, coming to know God personally. And as we talk about being a revitalized church, one of the rhythms that I think that we have to be prepared for and get our hearts ready for and that we have to own is that God has put us here as a church, that our church doesn't just exist for us, but exists for the world. It doesn't just exist for us, but exists for those outside these walls. It exists for Payless Heights. It exists for others out there to see and to come and to know who God is. 
that when we gather, it's not just for us, but that every day there's an opportunity for somebody to know and put their trust in Jesus. Are you ready to grow this church? Are you ready to see people come to be a part of this world? Are you ready to expand your circle and see new people discover who Jesus is at a daily level? Do you come with that expectation? When you come to church, you're like, man, someone, someone today, someone today might come to know Jesus that didn't know him before. When we gather in our small group, maybe there's someone that can come along with us and they're gonna see us in a whole new light and maybe, just maybe, we're gonna add daily to those who are being saved. What I love about this, pardon me, is the way that Acts is set up, it was just kind of like an ordinary day. Those who are being saved. Yeah, did you hear like, more people came to know Christ? Really? Yeah, it's just an ordinary day. Like now I think, I, I get so excited, and we should always be excited, because it's an incredible miracle when someone puts their trust in Jesus. As Pat loves to say, and I love this illustration, he says, it's a bigger miracle than the parting of the Red Sea for someone to come from death to life in, in Jesus Christ. It's a huge miracle, and it's something that we celebrate. But it was so commonplace. Like sometimes I'm like, whoa, I can't believe someone would actually trust Jesus. Almost like I can't believe someone would do that. But here it was like an everyday experience. Every day the Lord added to those who were being saved. Like it was just an ordinary, common place thing. Did you know that we're, what we're a part of right now is kind of an historical anomaly? Anomaly, that's a fun word to say. Anomaly. Um, I love the way that Andy Stanley poses the question. I think we have the slide for this. How was it that a Nazarene sect, and that's really what the Jewish followers of Jesus were. I mean, there was, there was a, this, this little sect, this little branch of Judaism. This Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years tried to extinguish it. Think about it. I mean, it was just a small group of people. It was a small sect, and, and some of it even just saw it as a small cult amongst a, a Jewish religion that said, how, what was it that, that this little group that was being trying to be squashed and squelched after 300 years would eventually be embraced by the very empire that was trying to extinguish it? Historian Karen Armstrong writes this about this phenomena this way, and I love the way she writes it. She says, against all odds, against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with we do not really understand how this came about. Isn't that great? Like, look, we, we look at history and we know, like, there's, there's no denying that Christianity grew and, and expanded and it expanded its reach all throughout the Western and Eastern world, just like around the globe. Christianity was growing. We, we can't deny it. There's no place we can look that not, doesn't, we can't see the fingerprints of Christianity now today. It, it was a force to be reckoned with. And that was by the third century. Within 300 years, an entire empire shifted to embrace this idea of Christianity, crazy. For good or for bad, for all the political stuff that happened, there's a lot of stuff that the church has done wrong. But we cannot deny the fact that the expanse and the spreading of the message of the Jesus Christ grew and had a profound impact. And she writes to say that we really still do not understand how this happened. Now for us, for those who said yes to Jesus, those who've encountered Jesus, we know, we know the story, we know the gospels, we know how God has moved, we know what Jesus has done. Um, but for the rest of the world, it really is kind of confounding because really all the stuff that Jesus did should not have survived, it should not have worked. At surface level, it's amazing that the stories about a carpenter day laborer turned rabbi survived at all. It's not like they had loads of paper writing around. I mean, paper was scarce, writing was scarce. All these things that were at their disposal was scarce. It's amazing that these stories even survived. It was a scrappy movement, started in a small town, in a small sect, in a small religion, among small group of people in a country occupied by another government. The people were chosen, that were chosen to be a part of this movement, well, they didn't get along. They weren't the most influential. They argued all the time. Um, they weren't the most educated. They weren't the most pedigreed. They didn't come from a line of influence. They didn't come from a line of heritage other than some of their Jewish heritage, which was rich in, in the Galileans. Um, but nothing about these people said, these are going to be the guys that I want to stop and watch. These are going to be the guys that I'm going to put all my chips in and bet on because they're going to be the ones that change the world. And on top of them, half of them couldn't agree on things. They, they had their ego that got in their way. Um, and they even under, misunderstood the intentions of Jesus. All the way up to the crucifixion, they misunderstood things. This was a group that didn't even get it half the time when their leader was there. And even on top of that, this movement, has activated and employed by the, this movement activated and employed the voices of the voiceless. Women, children, widows, and those on the underside of power. Now, to us, that may sound like a good thing, but not back then. It would have discredited the movement. In a class-driven society such as Rome, this was not the recipe for success. And even on top of that, their main leader crucified. And then all the 12 after that were either executed or exiled. 
<clears throat> and who could have predicted that what happened in those moments in Acts 2.42 that we're studying right now were going to be the beginning of an unstoppable ripple effect for the rest of our history. An atheist historian, I love this, Bart Ehrman writes the account of the rise of the church, and he writes it this way. And this is someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. He's just acknowledging what took place. And his words, I think, are incredibly profound. He says this, Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, and philosophy. In a sense, Christianity, the, the way that Christians lived and the, what they believed and the worldview that they had actually shaped the consciousness of a nation, the consciousness of an empire, the way that we saw it and thought. And he goes on to say this, and these, these words I love. He says, and on an even more fundamental level, they transformed the very understanding of billions of people about what it means to be human. And on an even more fundamental level, he goes on to say that it's transformed our very understanding of what it means to be human. That because we understand that there's a God who loves us, and that all of us are made in his image, and all of us are worth dying for and saving, not because of anything that we've done, but because of grace, it changed the way that we understand ourselves. It changed the understanding that we have for class and people and race and ethnicity and gender. All those things began to shift and change because we started to understand and discover our purpose and what we were made for in Christ. And it shaped the world. And all of this, all of this, hear this, without a building, without money, without status, without the protection of the law, without public support, without reputation, without the internet, or cell phones, or the ability to broadcast a message across the world. And here's something that's even more profound. Even without a canonized Bible in your hand. A lot of us have scriptures in our hands right now. We have it on our phones, or we have the books. But all this 300 years, they, didn't, they didn't, couldn't go to the bookstore. They didn't have a Bible app on their phone that they could look at. They didn't have all this stuff, and all these things were happening. I mean, they were just the most, I mean, if you could think of any movement that was most under-resourced for success, it would have been the church and yet the way the church lived, the way that they lived together, the way that they talked about Jesus together, the way that they opened up their homes together, I mean, it changed the world. And I don't know about you, but when I look in the news and I look at culture and I look at media, it's so easy for me to get overwhelmed. It's so easy to look at this and say, where's the world going? The church is on decline. Things are all this. I think the only thing that makes those statements true is, is whether or not we believe them. Because the reality is, is God isn't on decline. God hasn't stopped. God isn't off his throne. And God still has established his church. I think it's what we decide to believe in the narrative that we choose to operate in. Do we believe that the church is in decline because we look at what's going on out there? Or are we going to say yes to what God has for us and recognizing that I'm still a part of that movement? We're all in this room because over 2,000 years ago, a movement got started and has been passed on. Whether it was passed on to someone in your family and you've been a multi-generational Christian or someone invited you to come to church one time and you said, wow, this is incredible. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Somehow this message got transferred to your soul and your heart said yes to it and you found yourself finding life in Jesus. And it's all because it's been passed on and stewarded by the generations before us. Church, we have an opportunity to steward the movement of Jesus right here. As a church, we could be a part of that. If we say yes to it. And we are a part of that. God is doing great things. And as we talk about being revitalized, I guess the invitation I want to give us is to awaken us back up to that picture. That when we just come to a Sunday, that it's more than, than just another Sunday. We've looked at how the church prayed, deepened their devotion, served one another. And today I want to look at how the church reached others. Because I believe that part of what it'll take to revitalize us and find ourselves finding new life and hope and excitement in Jesus is because when we touch the heart of God for the lost, when we touch the heart of God for those that are far from him, when we understand God's heart for them and we start to find that in our own heart, it revitalizes us in ways that we didn't even know we needed. If we're feeling sometimes dead in our faith, I wonder sometimes if it's because we haven't been connected with the world around us that doesn't know Jesus and we haven't felt Jesus's heart for the lost. And today I want to call today's message, Never Just Another Sunday. So just say that with me. Say, never just another Sunday. It's never just another Sunday. <laughs> I, I threw that last one out kind of fast. Like, no, again, what? Sorry about that. That's not what I meant to do to us. But it's never just another Sunday. And I want us to waken up to the idea that, that today is never just another Sunday. When we get together as a church, it's never just Sunday as usual. It's not just a routine. It's not just another way to start our week or to end the week, depending on how you look at things. Um, but that we are a group of people together to experience great things. Um, one, of, uh, one of our phrases as a student ministry um, is, is this. We, we, I love our student ministry. 
And we want to be a place where people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. We talk about this all the time with our leaders. We want to be a place where people far from Jesus and far from God can come and experience new life and new hope in Jesus. But we come on Monday nights and our leaders are faithful, they're dedicated, and they believe in the next generation. They want to see a generation of young people uh, get to know Jesus. And so they come there, but they're tired, we're distracted, we've got other responsibilities, and we've got to rev ourselves up, no pun intended, revolution is the name of our ministry. We've got to rev ourselves up to then go and pour in our lives into students. And we've got a wide variety of students every Sunday. Some that want to be there, some that don't want to be there. Some that are on fire for Jesus and some that are just kind of confused and kind of trying to figure out what the world looks like. Some that like really are like, you know, crushing it for the kingdom and others that are like, well, you know, give them time. They, they, might, they might pop later. You know, like all that kind of stuff. There's, we're all the spectrums of life right there coming under one roof. And so our, our leaders come in. It's like, okay, every time it, it just takes focus and it takes a huddle. And one of the things that we say together is we remind ourselves, we have shirts that say it, say never just another Monday. When we get together tonight, this is never just gonna be another Monday. If we just come with that mindset, it's a program. It's just some songs and some games and some food and some pizza and some, some like sweaty gym games and whatever, and then we leave. Um, that's it. But what if, what if this is a Monday that a student went from death to life because they said yes to Jesus? It's never just another Monday for that person. What if a person and a student come struggling with sin and shame and feeling guilt and today they found freedom and life and purpose and hope in Jesus? It's never just another Monday when a student comes in our doors and they feel alone and unseen and unwanted. They find the embrace and the invitation of Jesus through his people to say you belong here, you are loved and you are welcome and you are wanted. It's never just another Monday. There may be a student that's been having a hard time understanding if God is real, and maybe today, 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 he may feel like, I just, I feel like I heard God speak to me for the first time ever. It became clear. There was a moment that I just was singing a song, and it became a personal prayer to my God. It became a plea. It's never just another Monday. These are opportunities for heaven to invade earth and to disrupt our lives and change us forever. And I want to invite us as a church to come with a never just another Sunday mindset. It's never just another Sunday for us when we gather as a church. When we come together as God's people and we gather together, we have an opportunity for daily those to come from death to life to be saved. And if we come with just another, just another Monday mindset, Sunday mindset, um, we can come with the understanding that Jesus, like you can, you can invade heaven to earth. You can change someone's life today. Someone could be going one direction and completely doing about face because of how you impacted their lives. I can come, Jesus, and have a conversation with another person in the atrium that can give them hope and encouragement in ways that I didn't even know was doing it because your Holy Spirit was at a work through me. It's never just another Sunday. And here's the thing. A lot of the emphasis comes up to what's happening on this platform. We're in a bunch of chairs and a bunch of rows that face this way. And there's one person on the stage talking to all of you. But when you look at the book of Acts, we don't really hear what the apostles taught. We don't learn about the apostles' message. We don't learn about the apostles' killer worship service. We hear what the people did when they worshiped God together. We hear what the people did when they prayed and met together. That's what grew their numbers daily. So much more important than what's happening here on this platform is what's happening off this platform in those seats right now. Your willingness to engage, your willingness to listen, your willingness to open up your hearts. But then when you walk out of this atrium, you're surrounded by a bunch of people that God may be calling you to make a difference in by stepping into their life and stepping into their circle and saying, yes, God, I've got a role to play in that person's life. And when you come here, there's someone else in this room that has a role to play in your life as they speak life and speak to you. And just what if, what if, what if there's someone in this room right now that says, I don't even know if God's real. I don't even know if God exists. I don't even know if I'm seen or if I'm loved, if I'm wanted. And maybe today, just today, you are that person to speak truth into their life where it clicks for the first time. It is never just another Sunday. We have got to come with expectation. Amen. <clears throat> Church, I wanna remind us why why it's never just another Sunday, because I want to remind us of who we are, because I think sometimes we, we fall into a rut because we forget who we are. You are living stones, you're a royal priesthood, you're a body of Christ, you're salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. And these are some passages I want to walk through real fast so the time that we have. We are living stones, church. This is why it's never just another Sunday, is because we are living stones. In 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, as you come to him, the living stone, meaning Jesus, um, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. The world didn't understand what Jesus did. He was rejected. He was crucified. But you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does this mean? That when we together, the church isn't this building. The church is us. And that together, when we're together, God inhabits us. 
that we're like a sanctuary where God's holy activity takes place. What was a church back then? What was a temple back then? It was a place that people believed that that was where the divine came to earth. That was where God met earth and met the people. And so God, Paul is, or Peter's reminding us here, it's not a building. We don't have a building. Peter's writing to a bunch of people that didn't even have a building or a place. But he said, you don't need a temple because when you gather together, you are the temple. You are the place where divine activity takes place. You are like a royal priesthood. Later goes on to say this. We are a royal priesthood. First Peter goes on to say this later on. He says, but you, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are, a, you are the people of God. Once you were, did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's break that down. You are chosen. When you walk into this room, do you, do you know that you belong here? Do you walk in like you are part of this? Do you know that you were chosen to be in this space? When you walk down the, the parking lot and open those doors and you walk into this worship center, I know it's, we've got life, it's busy, but when you come in here, do you say, okay, God, I'm a chosen active player. I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this church where holy activity is gonna take place and it's gonna happen through me and it's gonna happen through other people, but you've gotta believe that you're wanted. I know some of us, we feel like, you know, I'm just not a Christian, a rock star. I haven't been doing this for a long period of time. I don't know a lot. I don't have a lot to say. I don't have a lot to offer. I don't even know where to get started. It feels really weird. Other people sound so much more spiritual than me or their lives look so much better. If they just knew the argument we had in the car ride on the way here, there's no way that they'd see that I belong. We've got to stop having that narrative when we walk in this place. You are chosen, period, the end. You're chosen. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're chosen. You belong here and you've got a part to play. You are chosen. You are royal. What? Royal. That sounds pretty like legit. Oh, that's some street cred right there. I'm royalty. What's up? How you doing? Um, but like you're royal. Like you have, you have a position, a status that's different than other status. It was just, this, and especially in a status-driven society, to say that you are royal or to say that you're a cut above, that you're kind of like beyond and above the stuff of the world. You're royal. You transcend the things of the world because you are royal. Turn to the person next to you, give them a kind of a wink and say, you are royal. Yes, we got to speak this to one another. You are royal. You are cut above. And you're a priesthood. Now, this is a weird word. I don't know if any, especially if we come from different traditions, but the word priest, is, we usually have an image that evokes in our mind when we think of priest. We think of garbs, we think of garments, we think of vestments, a whole bunch of different stuff that comes up. But when you're a priest, what a priest was, very simply put, was it was a person that represented God to the people, and then that priest would then represent the people back to God. They were kind of like a middleman for the conversation. God was holy, could not interact with his people fully, but the priest was kind of a middle person to say, God, I'm bringing the prayers and the requests of your people, the sacrifices of your people to you, God. Would you hear them? Would you act on their behalf? And so a priest would then take and listen and pray and listen and then bring it back to God, and then God would listen to the priest, and the priest would say, this is great, and then he would dispense that grace and that forgiveness back to the people. So that the priest was very much a mouthpiece to the people about the grace and the mercy of God to them, and in a very real way that they were a person that interceded for the needs of the people to God. And this was a very special and a very chosen thing. It was a bloodline thing in the Jewish community that you either were born with it or you didn't have it. And Paul, Peter goes on to say this, but you now, because of what Jesus has done, you are a priest. Do you walk in with that mindset? That's kind of weird if you think about it. Like, do you ever call yourself a priest? But you are a priest. You want to know why? It's because when you come here, you have access to God um, because of what Jesus has done for you. You can take someone's prayer requests in this room and bring them right to God and God can listen to them and hear them and then you, on, on his behalf. And, and, and then you can take them back to the person. That means when you speak to the other person that you're speaking the words and the love and the grace and the mercy to another person as though you're representing God to that person. Each of us have an important role to play. We're a royal priesthood. He actually goes on to describe a little bit more detail of how that looks later on in chapter four. So let me read these words here for us quick. The end of all things is near. I mean, like, this, this is where the world's going, and Jesus is coming back. So therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. And above all, he says, love each other deeply. Man, it's never just another Sunday if we just love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, hear this, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, 
God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When you come, do you come ready to be like a priest? Do you come ready to speak to other people, bearing the weight that I may be the encouragement of God, as though God was speaking through me to that person? When someone's talking to you, do you come with the expectation that, hey, God, someone may pray for me in a way that I, I need so desperately today? Do you come with that expectation to hear and be moved by God? A reminder that um, this passage in Acts is, again, so much more about what the people did. Um, what made Sunday special wasn't what, I already said that. <laughs> um, the next thing is this, is you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we see this. This is, but now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Let's say that together. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Oh, he's kind of, <laughs> I know, none of us like reading things out loud, but we should be engaged with this. This is like mind-blowing. Okay, now imagine. Imagine this letter being written to somebody who's never felt connected to anything before. And maybe they felt like their life was maybe just on the underside of power, their voice didn't matter, and now they begin, hear this news as though like, oh my goodness, you belong to something incredible. And let's, listen, you don't just belong to something mediocre or just sort of like average, but you actually belong to the very mind and life and body of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the savior of the world, and that's what you are a part of. Now, let's read with that kind of faith. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. You, when you come in, together we all experience the fullness of what Jesus is like when we are a part of that body. It is a high calling, and that's expressed together. None of us are an individual member. It would be really weird and probably really gross if we just came in as just a part of the body. I don't know if anyone's ever seen a dismembered piece of body before. It's gross. Side story. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but one, one time, it was near Halloween. Ooh, we're driving home uh, from, I think maybe even a Bible study. I can't remember. We're coming down uh, a road, and all of a sudden, we're driving, and we're like, that looks like a foot in the road, and that looks like a shoe in the road, and that looks like a leg in the road. Whoa. And it was like around Halloween, so I thought it was like one of those things that fell off the trunk, you know, those like those little gag things? Nope. It was a real leg. And we pulled over and we called the police and it was like, oh my word, it was like, but it was like weird and I felt like super grossed out to see it. So listen, don't be gross. Don't be gross. Don't just be a dismembered part of the body. We all belong together. We're a body. It was a weird, I don't know how to make that connect. It's a story. Just, let's just let's roll with it. But don't just... <laughs> Don't be gross. Be a part of the body together. We can't just be dismembered parts of the body. That only works when all of us are in this together. So when you come, you're a royal priesthood. You have a part to play. And don't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. We are not meant to do it alone. And just because you feel like you don't fit where you wanted to fit doesn't mean that you get to excuse yourself and walk away. Paul talks about that in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 a whole bunch. And you can go look at it later if you want to. But you're the body of Christ. You have a high calling. You're part of something special. Do you believe that the world gets to see what Jesus looks like, the body of Jesus, the physical representation of who Jesus is by how we're together? So not only does holy activity happen here because we're a royal priesthood and living stones, but that when the world sees us and when we see ourselves, we actually get to experience more of what Jesus looks like than if we were apart because we're the body of Christ. If you want to see Jesus in action, be with the body. Don't be dismembered. Don't be gross. You're the salt of the earth. This one, Matthew 5, 13 uh, through 16. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus is telling this to his people in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot. And he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And Jesus doesn't refer to individuals here. He's talking to a group of people. I think a lot of times we individualize this stuff. I'm the light of the world. It's true. You do bear light. But he's actually talking about us together being the light of the world. He's not talking to individuals right now. Together, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to... Okay, sorry. Um, see if you're still with me. Uh, but in the same way, let your light shine bright before others so that they may see the good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Together, church, when we operate together, we have an opportunity for people outside of us to glorify our Father in heaven. It's never just another Sunday. Someone might come away leaving this place glorifying Jesus and trusting in him because they saw the good deeds and the way that we operated together as we were the light of the earth together. 
together, that's when it happens. You come ready to be salt and light. And on top of this, when we gather, um, God is in our midst. I love what Psalm 22, three reminds us. It says, you, God, are holy and you inhabit the praises of Israel. That even in our very songs and our worship together, God's presence is with us. The God who spoke the world and put it into existence. The God who said, let there be light and light exploded onto the scene. The God who, who formed the planets and the universe. The God who says in the Bible that he can hold the universe at the breath of his hands. This God, the God who holds it all together. The God who knows every star by name and because of his great love, not one goes missing. That God is here right now. And when we praise him in a special way that God dwells, he tabernacles, he sits with us, he's with his people here. Are we, when we come and we worship, do we expect that, God, you're amidst the praises of your people? It's never just another Sunday. So that's the first phrase. It's never just another Sunday. Let's come with that mindset. The next phrase that we have in our student ministry that, that's uh, kind of been uh, an important one to us is this is awkward is awesome. Awkward is awesome. Because um, you, you may say, like, listen, I'm not an all-star. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to live um, like this stuff, that's really great that you've got that phrase, never just another Sunday, but like, how do I get started? It feels weird and it feels awkward. And so this is where this phrase comes in. This is just a quick point, but awkward is awesome. Guess what? When you start to stand out and try to do this stuff, it's gonna feel weird. Honestly, it feels weird when you walk up to a complete stranger and say, hey, you know what? I, I kind of have this weird desire to pray for you. Do you mind if I do it? I really don't even, never done this before. It's gonna feel weird. You're not gonna feel like an all-star at it first. And there may be times you even make a mistake. You're like, hey, can I pray for you? I feel like God's leading me to pray for you. And then you're like, well, uh, that didn't seem to do anything, but okay, that's cool. Um, but you know, let's just fail forward. Let's just agree to say we're gonna look awkward. We're gonna try, we're gonna stumble. None of us are, need to be all-stars here. And if someone walks up to you and says, hey, can I, can I encourage you with something? Don't disregard it, listen to it, listen intently. And if you feel like there's someone else that you across the room that you don't know, you're like, don't look at them and be like, well, maybe that's someone else to get to know them. This is the person that you made eye contact with. Go and introduce yourself. Talk to them. Let's actually be a church and let's be a body together. But it will feel awkward. I am the worst at meeting new people. I know it, like, it's easy because I get to stand on stage and like, talk to a bunch of people. But if you like, talk to me out there, my heart is racing. I am like, not like, a, a socially like, adaptable person. I do it because like, it's a, like, a job hazard. But like, like, internally, like, I, don't, I don't necessarily choose to. Like, but, like, it's not, like, I wouldn't pick to do it myself, right? So listen, just so you know, when you see me out there and I'm talking to people, be like, wow, I think Mike feels kind of awkward right now. Because I do. But guess what? Like awkward and stepping into awkward situations has led me to grow and understand people in ways I never would have if I didn't step into it. Stepping into awkward things have, have led me to grow and discover things about myself I never would have if I never said yes to the awkward moment. I'm always so, so busy trying to be safe and, and cover and, and bring comfort to myself. But comfort never brings growth. So if you go out there and you start to feel awkward, you're in the best place. So remember, awkward is awesome. Just embrace it. Tap into the potential that you have in Jesus and try it. Walk up to someone and say, you know what, I'm a royal priest. You know, say that to them, that'd be weird. Uh, remind, say to yourself first, okay, I'm, I'm a royal priest. I represent God here. I have a role to play. I'm part of a living stones. God, you're gonna do holy things through me. Hey, how's it going? Can I pray for you? How's your day? How's, how's life going? Is there anything I could bring before the Lord? Let's pray for that right now. Rather than just walking away and be like, okay, it was good. I'll, I'll pray, pray for him right then. And then you know what? Say, hey, do you mind if I get your number? And um, like, just, like, just text you a prayer. You know, just, hey, what's up? How's it going? I just want to let you know midweek, here's a Bible verse I'm praying for you. Feels awkward. I don't really know you yet, but like, we weren't going to get to know each other unless we try that. Just do it. <clears throat> the next thing is this. Expand your circle. Expand your circle. For us to grow, we have to be willing to expand our circle. For us to grow as a church, we have to be willing to open up who sits next to us. Uh, we have to open up our time. We have to open up our social calendars. We have to open up our hearts to other people. The early church grew at an exponential rate. But the reality was is that they were able to sustain that growth because those relationships mattered to them. It wasn't just about people sitting in a service and leaving. Remember, they didn't have a building then. It was people meeting in each other's homes. It was people getting to know each other's names. It was people getting to learn each other's stories. It was people taking the opportunity to share what Jesus meant to them so they could rub off on somebody else's life so they could say, you know what, I want that too. And that happens when we do that together. One place it's easy to do is just bring someone to church. You know, it's kind of built in. Someone's gonna talk about Jesus for you. But then the next step for us is when we leave this place saying, you know what, like, I don't wanna leave this place without meeting somebody new. So quickly we come in on Sunday and it's like a, it's like a, a box we check off. 
you know, I gotta do it and it's busy, and, but we overpack our Sundays. I'm guilty. Anyone guilty of overpacking your Sunday? Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one. But we overpack our Sunday and it's like, okay, we're gonna get here, we're gonna do our thing, and we gotta get the kids out, we gotta get to their lunches, we gotta get to the, you know, naps and all that. Those are important. But what we miss out when we just come here and make it about the service and saying a couple, couple quick hellos is we miss out on, on really experiencing those verses we just talked about. But what if, what if we came with an expectation to say, God, I'm gonna create more space in my day. I'm gonna stop scheduling things so busy into my day on Sundays. I'm gonna make today a day where I get to be a part of your holy sanctuary. I'm gonna be a living stone today, Jesus. I'm gonna walk as a royal priest. I've got some work to do. I get to be a part of your kingdom today. And I'm gonna open up my circle to somebody new. There are so many new people here every week. Handfuls, we've been seeing new families come every week. It's been awesome, it's been so cool. Um, but if I can step on our toes just a little bit, there are some of us in this room that have been here for the past few weeks, past months and years that haven't talked to somebody new at all. It's so easy just to kind of come and assume everyone else is taken care of because we have our, our, our thing that we want out of the service and we get out. We've got the people we want to see and we want to leave. But if we came with expectation to say, God, there's someone new in this space I get to know, I think that's when we're going to start to grow. It's not going to grow by having a better service. It's not going to grow by having you know, something that's more relevant or a different message. It's going to grow when all of us open up our circle and say, Jesus, there's someone's life that you're inviting me to invest in and invite to come alongside of me. And you know, sometimes it's for a season. You might have someone that you know for a little while and then life changes and that's okay. Sometimes it may just happen in a moment where you just say, Jesus, out in the atrium, I'm gonna talk to someone for 10 minutes I've never talked to before. I may never talk to them again. But those 10 minutes could be life changing. But that only happens when you say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up my circle. I'm gonna stop talking to the people I always talk with and I'm gonna stretch myself out there. I'm gonna put myself out there and see something happen. And listen, it is powerful. It is powerful when you make it personal. There's, there's, there's something that happens when you say, you know what, this could matter for someone in my life. You know, when we built this sanctuary to be updated with the, the building project, many people wrote prayers and praises, and some people wrote names of people that they hope to come to know Jesus in this space. We're sitting on them right now in this space. This, this room was built with the expectation that someone would come into this space and they would, they would understand and connect with God and as he inhabits the praises of their people and that they would actually go from death to life and actually find themselves finding salvation in Jesus because they said yes to him here in this space. And listen, when you, when you bring somebody, when you invite somebody to church, it changes how you experience church. Let me tell you what, everything becomes a whole lot more critical. Everything's a lot more nerve-wracking. Has anyone experienced that before? You have someone, you're like, they're finally coming to church. They're finally watching online. I hope they talk about this. I hope they don't talk about this. I hope there isn't anything about money. Like, whatever all those things that go in our brain, like, we just say, it's going to be one of those things. I want them to, like, experience Jesus when they come into this room. And when you come with a mindset of, I'm going to bring somebody, or you come with a mindset, I'm going to take it personally, that someone may have brought somebody here for the first time, or maybe just someone found us online and decided to come here for the first time, and you start to, like, put yourself there and take it personally for them, it changes how you engage with the service. Like I think about my friend Joe. My friend Joe and he and I have been through a lot together and I love him and I want him to see him to come to know Jesus and, and our life has gotten busy and things have kind of like, uh, we've got a few states between us right now. But if you were to call me up and say, Mike, I'm coming to church. I'm in town and I just kind of want to see what you've been up to and I'm just going to be there so I just want to let you know that I'm there. I tell you what, I would, things would change for how I prepared for that service. Things would change because my friend Joe is coming here to be at Moraine Valley Church, and I don't want this to just be another Sunday for Joe, because I know that Joe has lived a life where he, he didn't have a good relationship with his mom, he had a struggling relationship with his dad, he had a struggling thing with family, and he's a person that's had to figure things out on his own, on his own. and he's been like a self-made man his whole life, and he is proud of himself, but in, inside, like, he needs to know that there's a God who's proud of him too. His Heavenly Father is proud of him and loves him and sees Joe. I want him to come into the service, and I don't know where he's going to sit. And so now every one of these seats, I'm like, I don't know where Joe's going to sit. Every one of these seats are filled with possibility now. I might actually take the day before church and come here and start praying over every one of these seats. God, I don't know where Joe is going to sit today. I don't know where Joe is going to be, but I'm going to pray for the seat, God, because you know, right here, Joe might sit right here, and right here, he might be hearing the message of the gospel the first time in a way that it clicks. In this moment, Joe might actually understand that there's a God who loves him and who's redeemed him and that, yes, Joe is a sinner. Joe has walked away from God and Joe doesn't know Jesus, but he would hear the invitation of his father saying, I've taken care of that. Come back home to me. In that moment, it might click for him. God, I don't even know who's going to be sitting to the left or to the right of Joe. So I start praying for his friends. I start praying for you, the people that are in this church. God, there's people in Rain Valley Church that Joe needs to make a connection with. 
Because right now, I'm, I'm just the, 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 the pastor that he knows in his life, the person who said yes to Jesus. I was kind of like the, the freak in my friend group that sort of said like yes to Jesus, like he's the, he's the holy one now. I don't want him to think it's just a me thing, God. I want him to see that God's people are real and authentic and full of grace and truth, just like Jesus was. God, whoever is on the left or to the right of him, God, I pray that they welcome him. I pray that they see Joe as someone special because Joe matters to me. I want Joe to matter to the person that's sitting next to him, God. I want the person that they're next to to invite themselves to say, hey, how you doing? My name is so-and-so, and to make a meaningful connection with them. So they know that it's not just me, God. It's not just like me telling Joe that he needs to know Jesus, but he sees a group of people that are doing this together with us because this is what your people do, God. God, I pray that when the worship team is playing, if you've ever had a person that doesn't know Jesus in the room with you when worship's going, it changes your worship. Because you're like, God, I, I worship you and you're awesome, but I want these songs to be true for Joe. And you start thinking about what these words really mean, what they really mean if they took root in my friend Joe's life. God, would you, would you show Joe that this is true, that there is nothing that you can't do? God, would you show him that? Would it actually become true, not just words on a screen, but would he start finding himself coming alive to the hope and the possibility that's found in you, Jesus? And so now I'm saying, God, there's nothing that you can't do. And this is what I'm declaring for my friend Joe. I'm not just worshiping it up here because I'm supposed to, and it's another Sunday as usual, and it's one of the songs that's in a rotation. I am now pleading that for my friend Joe. God, there's nothing that you can't do. Would you bring my friend Joe from death to life this morning? And I am preening it, and I'm praising it, and I'm lifting him up, and I'm saying, God, I want this for you. I want this for my friend Joe. And my worship changes, and I find myself becoming revitalized. And then every element of this service, even all the way out to the parking lot, I start thinking about, God, I, I pray that he finds a good parking spot today. I find that that parking lot's a mess. And there's potholes, and there's, the you know, people doesn't trip and fall or slip on the ice, all that kind of stuff. God, I, just, I pray that, that that parking lot time, that matters, and that when he gets out of the car, that he doesn't just see a bunch of people hurrying to get into church. He doesn't just see a bunch of people that want to come into church and like sit down and find their spot in a church, but they see someone that gets out of a car and makes eye contact with Joe from the very minute he's out of his car. He recognizes that this is holy ground, that something's different, that there's a royal priesthood that's not in that building, but it's in the gathered people of God that are saying, Joe, I see you. How you doing? Let me get to know you. How's it going? Where are you from? You look new. I've never met you before. Even if I, even if I didn't know if you were new or not, my name is so-and-so. How you doing? And that Joe would come to get a friendly greeting, and he gets over to the greeters, and he sees a greeter that recognizes he's been a new person, and that greeter takes a few minutes to say, hi, Joe, how you doing? Because Joe, Joe's skeptical of the church. Joe's skeptical of this being a show. Joe thinks it's about money. Joe thinks this is about like, like, like trying just to like do your best you can, but it's toxic. He has all these different ideas of why the church shouldn't exist and why it should be eradicated from the world because he sees it as a bad thing. But maybe that greeter for the first time breaks down that wall in Joe's life. And he starts to say, you know, maybe these are real people. Maybe these people really do care for me. And when they take me to the welcome desk, I'm not just handed a box and I'm saying, here you go, you'll get an email and someone's going to get in contact with you. But that everybody here starts to perk up and say, I've never seen that guy before. Maybe it's my turn to go introduce myself to somebody new. Because maybe someone like Mike is praying for that person right now to have a meaningful connection. And he's been hoping his entire friendship that he would come to know Jesus. And you could be the one. It's never just another Sunday. And we have an opportunity when we expand our circle because the incredible things happen. And, and the crazy awesome thing is, is that when we say yes to that, it revitalizes us. If we feel like we're looking for more conviction or more passion or more life and more vitality, we're gonna find that when we touch God's heartbeat for the lost. When we extend our hands in prayer and say, God, I am reaching out and I am touching your heart for the people that don't know you. And I see so much more clearly what you've done through me. So much more clearly what you've done through me as I start to pray for my friends that don't know you. And so much more clearly what you've done through me when I start to step into the opportunities that I have. And this is my part to play. The church got started over 2,000 years ago and it's still going strong and I get to be a part of that story right now. So as we close, I wanna ask you to look for come sit with me opportunities. Another phrase that's important for our student ministries, come sit with me. It's never just another Monday or never just another Sunday. Awkward is awesome. Open your circle and look for come sit with me opportunities. There's so many people that walk in this door and we all have our spots. And I don't know if you've ever known that, but we all have our spots. And sometimes you don't know that until you sit in someone's spot and you're like, oh, excuse me. And you get the stink eye, you're in my spot. 
We're so territorial. We're people of creatures, creatures of habit. That's fine. I mean, I, I typically sit in the balcony all the way back there, and sometimes I walk in and it's full. I'm like, oh, I can't go to my spot today. Huh. But that's how I think. Like, and I've been, you know, I've been here for like, you know, 18 years, and I'm like, I still like, like my spot. None of this is our spot. This is all of our spots together. Like, let's, what if we just had a different spot every week? And said, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm just going to open up. I'm going to open up my circle. I'm going to make myself available to somebody else. I'm just going to look and, and, and be open. But look for come sit with me opportunities. What if out in the atrium you found somebody new and said, like, hey, where do you sit? Do you mind if I sit with you? Or hey, welcome. I, I, haven't, I know you've been around church for a while. Do you want to sit with us this week? It may make such a big difference when someone can sit next to you and has a place to belong. Um, actually, I want to invite our, our teams to pass out these things now, if you can. They're going to start passing these things out to us. Or we'll be closing in just a second. Um, and then Brian, I think those are down here. Oh, you just jumped over the chair. You leapt. Oh, you got him behind you. Okay. Um, my challenge for us over the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter is we have an opportunity to, to put this into practice. Both right here, because literally the reality is that there's new people here every week. And every Sunday, whether it's a person you brought or not, is an opportunity for heaven to invade earth in that person's life. Even if it's a person that you've seen in a long time, you don't know how they're feeling. You don't know that they feel connected or not. So it, it matters for everybody. But leading up to Easter, I want to encourage you to look for some come sit me opportunities with people in your life that are not, with, that are not here in church. I want to think someone that's close to your heart that's far from God, that you might begin praying for and start saying, you know what? I'm gonna look for an opportunity to say, come sit with me. And maybe, maybe it's not even someone you're close with. Maybe you're a frequenter of Jersey Mike's. That's, that's, my, that's my drug of choice, Jersey Mike's. I, number two all the time. That's amazing. Can't get away from it. Um, but I go to the same fast food restaurants all the time because I get to say the same people all the time. I go to the same, I look for the same checkout counter people all the time because at least there I can make a small, meaningful opportunity. And I listen for come sit and meet with me opportunities and say, you know what, how you doing? However things go, it could be a small conversation, but every once in a while, I get to say I work at a church, I belong to a church, or I go to a church down the street. And I say, you know what, if you ever come, you can come sit with me. Just come sit with me, simple as that. You know, it takes about five to seven asks or invitations for people to say yes to church. So chances are, if you say, come sit with them, you won't have to be that awkward right away because they won't. They're not going to be sitting with you. That's okay. Um, but maybe, just maybe that one time, you say, you know what? Come sit with me. They may do it. Um, what you're being passed out right now is with these, these little tools. I got this from Andy Stanley, and it's really helpful. Um, this, leading up to Easter, I want you to look for come sit with me opportunities by listening for three knots. There's three knots on those keychains there, three knots. These are the three knots. I'm not a church person, it's not going well, and I'm not ready for this. I'm not a church person. Hey, you wanna to come to church with me? I'm not a church person, that's okay, come sit with me. Hey, you know, you, what do you believe? Oh, I don't really know what I believe yet, I'm not really sure, um, I'm not really sure what, what life is, I'm not sure what it is, that's okay, you know what? Come believe and come sit with me. You know what, just whatever it is. You know, hey, you know, I've never been to a church, that's okay, come sit with me. Hey, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not into like the whole God thing, and that's fine, that's okay, come sit with me, come check it out. I want you to come, just sit with me. It'll be a little bit less weird. We're just gonna sit together. We'll go get lunch. We'll go talk about it. Next thing is this. It's not going well. Maybe the next time you talk with a person and you, you have a conversation with somebody and they're like, you know, it's just not going well. Maybe it's on social media um, if you don't see them in person. But maybe you see someone say, you know, things aren't going that well in my life right now. I'm struggling. I've got something that I'm working through. It's not going well. You know what? It's okay. Come with me. Said, are you a counselor? No, but, you know, come sit with me. You know, we'll find life together because we trust that when you come sit with me, we're gonna be around a place where divine activity takes place and God's gonna do some great things. So, so come sit with me. The last thing is this, is I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. Maybe it's a transition in life. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a, it's, it's a termination in work. Maybe it's, a, it's a, a new health diagnosis. Maybe it's, I'm just, I'm becoming a parent for the first time. I'm not ready for this. Just got married, I'm not ready for this. Just move to the town. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. You know, that's okay. You know what? You come sit with me. Because there's a place you can belong and we can walk through and talk together. You, you, you've got a place you can be. So come sit with me. And so as we lead up to Easter, I want to challenge you. With these three knots, listen for them. And maybe, just maybe, there's one person, one person that you want to reach out to and say, Jesus, would you work in my life to invite them to come sit with me? And can we trust can we trust that everyone else in this room is gonna look out for that person just like I will, my friend Joe? Can we trust that when, I, when someone else comes in this room that everybody has a part to play in the roles and lives of everybody out there? And it's not just because it's a good thing to say, it's because it's who God's called us to be.
And if we did that, if we did that, just maybe, just maybe we could start to see what happens in Acts 2 happen, that God would grow our numbers daily, those who are being saved. I want to invite us to pray. I'm going to invite us to pray. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little bit different. We all kind of come and we clump with our friends and, and we're family. That's a, that's a good thing. We should be snug with our peeps. Um, but if you look around, this, this, this worship center has got a lot of empty seats. And each one of these seats represents somebody that could be in this room hearing the gospel for the first time, hearing the message of Jesus for the first time, coming from death to life for the first time, heaven-breaking earth for the first time. And we can be praying for them. And so what I want you to do is, if you can, make sure that you just have one seat to the left or to the right of you open. So if you're sitting next to somebody, just sort of scooch one over so that you have an open space to your left and to your right. We can do that right now. That's good. A little scooch. Yeah. Kind of feels good to let stretch out a little bit too. In your hand, you've got the, the keychain with the, the, the three knots. But I want you to think about who is your person. Who is your person? Maybe it's someone, you know, far that would maybe not come to Moraine. You could pray for them, but I want to encourage you to think about someone that could be sitting right here. Somebody you know, a neighbor, friend, coworker, somebody that you pass every day at the store. Somebody. And I just want you to visualize, what would, it, what would service feel like if they're sitting next to you right now? What would change about your expectation of what you'd want to see God do in their lives as you came to the service, not only for you, but to see God move on behalf of your friend? What are they experiencing right now as they, they come in this space and they, they start to experience Jesus in this place? And imagine how full we would feel if all of us started playing an active part in bringing people together and saying, God, there's a seat next to me and I want that filled with my friend. And maybe my friend won't come sit next to me, but I'm gonna trust that there's someone else that's gonna open up a seat next to them and say, hey, come, come sit with me. Don't be in church alone. Let's say yes to this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. It's because of you that it's never just another Sunday. It's because of what you've done that life is filled with possibility and meaning and hope. Because you didn't just give us a good message. You didn't just give us hope and things to make do with our time while we live on this earth before we die. But you've given us the promise of eternity. You've given us the promise of full life. And you've called us to be active participants in that life. And for thousands of years now, people have been saying yes to that. And today's our turn. So the person on my left and my right, God, I pray for these empty seats. And I pray that you'd fill them with someone that can come to know you in an incredible way. And I pray for my person. I pray that when they come, that it would never be just another Sunday for them, but it could be a moment of life change that would change their life for eternity because you're with in their midst. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that they would be open to embrace the lives of those that are here and say yes to who you've called them to be as a city on a hill, a royal priesthood, the salt of the earth, the chosen people, to be all those things, to be living stones so that divine activity can take place on behalf of my friend and on behalf of the lost, on behalf of those that don't know you. And Jesus, would you renew and would you revitalize us in a church this morning? that we could say it's true of us, that you added daily to us those who are being saved for your namesake. And all God's people said, amen.